G'day everyone and welcome to my latest podcast. It's Gleno here. Well, here we go. Just as I sort of suspected that would happen, uh, Victoria, um, the coronavirus cases are pretty much out of control now. We've got numbers in the high 600s and 700s in the past week and they've had a few numbers below 4-300 but uh, it's pretty bad at the moment and that prompted the Queensland Premier uh, Anastasia Palaget to close the borders once again for metropolitan Sydney. Previously, before that, it was only certain parts of uh, Sydney, mainly the southwestern suburbs that were going to be shut off to Queensland. Now it's the greater Sydney region, Blue Mountains and Central Coast. People that live in Wollongong and the outer areas, Lithgow, Bathurst and all the country areas can still travel to Queensland. So what does this mean? Well, as from... Yesterday, 1am Saturday, anyone in the Greater Sydney region cannot travel to Queensland. It's simple as that. Uh, returning Queenslanders that have uh, been in Sydney in the past week or so, they enter, they have to quarantine for 14 days at a hotel at their own expense. Jeez, I'm lucky I didn't go down to Sydney to visit my parents. It was uh, been on my mind recently whether I should sneak down for a week or so to check on their welfare and so forth, but um, I would have had to uh, pay for a hotel for two weeks on return if I had done that. So I'm glad I sort of um, went with me instinct and said not to go anywhere, just stay in your home state for now. Wait until things settle down, which could be a long time away before I decide to go down and visit family and so forth. I miss them a lot, obviously. And they were going to come up here for a visit shortly, but uh, that'll be out of the question now. Now, how long Sydney residents will be shut out of Queensland? It will depend on um, how things go. Um, Victoria is a big issue at the moment, and I think that's got something to do with it. Obviously, Victorians cannot travel to Queensland either. And we had an incident last week. Well, it's more than an incident. It's a major disaster where two girls that uh, went down to Melbourne, came back with the coronavirus and started to spread it. And uh, there's certain areas uh, in the Brisbane region, um, in the Logan area, that is of great concern. So um, we've only had one or two cases um, every day in the last few days up in Brisbane. And um, so far we're on top of it and hopefully that doesn't spread. There's been thousands of people tested in the southern suburbs of Brisbane, and uh, the, the numbers are low. So that's a good thing, but very responsible for those two girls that did that, and some people just don't give a fuck. So that's how I look at it. Uh, but, uh, yes, so uh, what that means is um, obviously less flights now will be coming in um, to Queensland, to the, to the Gold Coast and Brisbane. There was a flock of people at the last minute flying up to Sydney and driving up. There was reports of 5,000 cars. I don't know where they get these figures from. 5,000 cars drove from Sydney to the Gold Coast on Friday and Thursday. Knowing that the cutoff was 1am Saturday, they could still legally enter Queensland without having to quarantine. And they they were not turned away, obviously, unless they didn't have the proper documentation. So um, a lot of people did come up and it created a mess at the border. This morning I drove down near there and um, the border was pretty good. There was hardly any bank up at all. Now I sort of was wondering whether the 
the banker, but traffic would be pretty bad with what's happening because they'll pretty much will stop every car with New South Wales number plates to see if they are from Sydney or if they're another part of the state. Um, but surprisingly, this morning the traffic was okay. So I'm just presuming that's because people from the Sydney metro area can't drive up here, so there's less cars crossing the border. It's only locals and uh, people in northern New South Wales that are crossing. So uh, maybe the border area won't be... Um, be as affected bad by traffic um, compared to what it's been the last few months. But I will give you a um, an example. I think it was last Monday or Tuesday, I was down in northern New South Wales and um, I came back across the border and my friend Ellie recommended we go this back way uh, where there's a border check and it's just a bit quicker to get through. But we were still delayed by about 30 or 40 minutes. And my experience for the couple of crossings that I've done with the border pass and that is the police randomly stop a few vehicles, especially if they've got Victorian number plates and New South Wales number plates. But with me, the police just let me through and didn't even look at my windscreen. He was pretty much looking down on the road or he was talking to someone beside him and just waving, just waving me through. I, I could have not had that pass on the windscreen and probably would have driven through. So I think they're a bit over it, to be honest, standing there, you know, um, Obviously, they rotate the staff around down there, but, uh, you know, they've been doing that since March, so they're probably a bit sick and tired of doing that, but um, they've still got to be vigilant and make sure people, you know, only legitimate people do cross the border. So um, that was my experience. So it was about a 20, 25-minute delay. A couple of weeks ago, I was coming back from Byron Bay and it was about half an hour. So um, that's just the average delay at the moment. A lot of trucks are going on the Gold Coast Highway, though. They're not going on the M1. They obviously must think that it's quicker to go through that way. So um, that's just one thing I've noticed, the increase of traffic on the Gold Coast Highway. So that's the situation uh, when it comes to the coronavirus. Um, Victoria, I think Daniel Andrews, he's the Victorian Premier, he's set to announce a possible uh, stage four lockdown for Victoria. Um, that would not surprise me at all. And I think stage four is um, the only things that will be businesses that will be open will be service stations, maybe hardware store for tradies and pharmacies. Everything else will be closed. All businesses will be closed and everyone will be uh, be at home uh, or you can be within a couple of kilometres of your home. That's how bad it is. I don't think it even got that bad up here on the Gold Coast when we were under tighter restrictions two or three months ago. Um, we could still sort of, you know, freely move about, but just in your own area. But it sounds like down in Melbourne, you might be able to leave your house within a certain radius and um, you'll be stuck at home and uh, everything will be shut except for essential services. It's very close to a New Zealand New Zealand style lockdown which occurred in New Zealand a few months ago. So hopefully that will improve or get those numbers down and uh, not to mention the amount of deaths that's been happening, you know, 10 to anywhere between 10 to 15 deaths a day Victoria or Melbourne has been encountering. It's sad. It doesn't matter how old they are. I know a lot of people say they've got pre-existing conditions and so forth but the fact is they still passed away from the virus. And there were a few people that are younger than that that have passed away too. So the serious of the nature is definitely there. So um, hopefully they can get on top of it. If these stage four lockdowns do come in in Victoria, 
Um, it's absolutely necessary. Obviously, it's frustrating for those who love being out and that, but it's the only way they're going to get on top of this virus because if they don't, those numbers could go well into the thousands every day. Well, as I said on an earlier podcast episode, I'm a bit of a Big Brother fan and uh, Big Brother has finished up after being on air for about eight weeks, I think it was. And congratulations to Chad Hurst on winning Big Brother and Daniel Gorridge and Sophie Budak were the runners-up. And uh, the live finale was broadcast on Channel 7 a couple of weeks ago now on the Wednesday and it was a bit of a well, compared to the grant, to the final shows of previous Big Brothers back in the early 2000s and that when you had thousands and thousands of audience there um, watching it from Dreamworld in the auditorium, um, it was a bit of a deflating grand final Big Brother, um, if I could put it that way, due to coronavirus and then that, they could not have a big crowd there. So they had about 70 people in the audience from what I have, from what I understand, and uh, most of them apparently were Channel 7 employees. And then you had the uh, Big Brother housemates on stage and so forth, and uh, Sonia was just interviewing them and so forth. And they announced the winner, and two or three of the housemates could not make it because they were in Melbourne and they couldn't travel interstate. But the review of the, the show, I actually warmed to the show. Um, the first few episodes, I thought it's nowhere the same as previous Big Brother episodes where they had live evictions and daily shows and so forth. Uh, this version of Big Brother was completely different. It's very fast-tracked and they have an eviction every night that the show's aired. So three housemates would leave the house every week. So there was a total of 20 housemates at one stage uh, to begin with when the show first begun. And I think housemates got evicted after the second night. And I think there was a stage there where some of the housemates were evicted before some of the intruders come in. So they didn't even actually get to meet in the house. So that was a bit bizarre. But um, all in all, towards the end, it was really interesting. And the momentum sort of started. And I've come to love the show, to be honest. And I will be watching the next series, I believe, that starts filming in October, November and December later this year, depending on how the virus goes, obviously. I don't know how they're going to get people from interstate uh, for the people that apply for the next series. So I'm presuming it's going to be airing on Channel 7 early next year and uh, I'm presuming Sonia Kruger will be the host. So it was a really, it wasn't too bad after I still, I've become to love the show, but the first few episodes I had my doubts. Now, one good thing about social media, and we always got to get positives out of social media because a lot of negatives in there, is the fact that um, these housemates have all got social media accounts. Back in the early 2000s, in the inaugural Big Brother shows, um, there was no social media back then. Instagram didn't really get going to about 2012. Facebook started around 05, 06. So the first four or five series of Big Brother you couldn't really interact with the housemates um, after the series finished. And um, it would have been strange back then. How would the housemates keep in touch with each other outside of Big Brother when the show ended? 
you know, especially the first three or four seasons. And I'm presuming they must have just had group emails and that would be the only way they could keep in touch because it was email back then and you could do group emails. And there was a thing called ICQ and then you had um, MSN Messenger. So that was the only way. What I do like about what's happening now with this new generation of Big Brother is they've all got Instagram accounts and Twitter and so forth. So the fans are able to keep in touch and interact with the housemates a lot better now compared to 10 years ago. And uh, this is a, a good thing because as I've seen in recent interviews from previous Big Brothers, the housemates pretty much get forgotten not long after the series finishes, maybe except for the winners and runners-up. Some of them got jobs in media and that, so their name was still around. But most of the housemates just easily get forgotten. Um, now, with Instagram, I'm actually following probably seven or eight of the housemates in this big um, in this year's series of Big Brother. And it's good to be able to see what they're getting up to and what they're doing in their daily life now that the show's finished, when the housemates go back to normality and, and so forth and back into their own routines and their family and so forth. So that is one good thing about um, social media. Now, some of these housemates have actually been doing lives on Instagram, like a question and answer session, and they've been going live with another Big Brother housemate. And it's actually, it's really a good thing that the fans can interact with them and ask them questions and so forth about the house and what they're up to and what they plan to do next. You couldn't really do that when Big Brother started in the early 2000s. And um, one of the housemates, Talia Rycroft, she's from Adelaide, I tried to get on live with her. She was actually randomly picking people that were commenting in the live chat and she was actually going live with them for a couple of minutes so they could that person that went live with her could ask them questions and so forth. And I thought that was pretty good for the housemates to be able to go live with their fans and give them a chance to have it. And I, I wish I had a got on there because I'm a good talker. As people know on my Instagram stories, I, I don't have a problem talking and, and so forth. And I would have loved to have uh, had a chat with her. Um, there was another housemate the other night that I wanted to do a live with. But I just can't remember who it was now. Um, I think it was Danny, and um, she did a live with some of her fans where they could ask her questions about this and that, I, and it was Marissa was another one. So I tried to do a live with her, um, but obviously with so many people wanting to go live with them, it's so, sort of almost impossible. But I am going to keep trying, and hopefully I will get on. So if you follow me on Instagram and you see that I'm live with someone, in the next couple of weeks, you know, it's with one of the Big Brother housemates. So that would be so cool if that could happen because I'd love to ask him a few questions about the house and I'm pretty fluent in the way I talk and that and I'm sure they would appreciate that. So um, that that's a really good experience and um, hopefully these housemates don't get forgotten and uh, they're still staying in the limelight in, in, in uh, many months to come. Though having said that, when the next series starts, Obviously, the focus will be on the new housemates and uh, people will want to follow them on social media. So it'll be interesting long term to see how it goes with the housemates and if they still interact interact with their fans or will they be easily forgotten and they're just going to go back to their normal life again.
Time will tell. Now, when I first moved up to the Gold Coast from Sydney six years ago, I thought to myself, well, there's going to be less traffic on the road. It would be easy to get around and so forth. The Gold Coast population's a fraction of what Brisbane and Sydney are. But I didn't realise that the driving habits up here are atrocious from a lot of motorists. And I'm pretty safe to say that the drivers on the Gold Coast are worse than that they are in Sydney. Sydney has more accidents, no doubt. And uh, But when it comes to road rage and that, if I look at going on news reports on road rage incidents that have happened over the last several years, I reckon there's more incidents that happen up here on the Gold Coast with a population of 600,000 compared to a city of 5 million in Sydney. And I've got no idea why driver attitude behaviour is very bad up here, not putting everyone over a blanket. But I'll tell you some of the things I have seen, and the main thing is tradies in a hurry all the time. Not all tradies. I'm not going to give them all a bad name, but some of them in their four-wheel drives are right up your ass wanting you to get out of the, the lane, even if you're doing a bit over the limit on the freeway. And, you know, I'll move over, but they shouldn't be, um, you know, all it takes is someone to hit the anchors and you're going to get rear-ended. I've got no idea why people are in a rush these days. Time is not going any faster than what it did fucking 200 years ago. I can tell you now, for some reason, people are trying to cram too much into a day. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because people are working longer or whatever, or is it because we're spending more time on social media and we want to have that time to be at home for that? So you're trying to cram everything else to, you know, I don't know. Maybe is it because women work now more than what they used to? So the, the, I, I don't know. When people say, oh, there's not enough time in that, I find that hard to, hard to believe. I'm sorry. You can make time. But the driver behaviour, people weaving in and out of traffic. Every time I drive to Brisbane on the M1, I always see two or three incidences, even on weekends when there's not much traffic, of people driving like idiots, weaving in and out of traffic and so forth. It happens everywhere in Australia, but I've just noticed it, really I've noticed it up here. And the tailgating's terrible. And what about when the lights turn green? Wow, I think we should go back to the red, amber, green sequence that they used to have in Melbourne when I was a kid to give people time to get off their fucking phones. And uh, that's one of the main issues why if you see people when the light turns green and people aren't putting the foot on the accelerator, 90%, I guarantee you, or even 99% is because they're on their phone at the lights. And that's also causing traffic chaos. It's really starting to annoy me, and I don't want to lose it. <laughs> I'm a good driver. I, um, I've sped. I've been booked. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I give people space they need. The merging up here is terrible. People do not merge on the freeway quickly. You've got to get up to the speed limit. If you get up to the speed limit before you merge... There'll be no bank up of traffic on the freeway. It only takes one or two people to be doing 60 or 70 kilometres an hour on the on-ramp while they're merging and you've got traffic doing 80 or 90 on the freeway. That's going to slow it up and cause a bottleneck for the rest of the day. It only takes one or two motorists. 
I just don't understand why cars do not get up to speed on the M1. I cannot work it out. Yes, there are some on-ramps that aren't that long, and they should be made a lot longer to allow for it. But you will not get booked for putting the foot down to the floor to get up to speed when you want an on-ramp, especially when it says you can go to 100 kilometres an hour. It's one of my pet hates. It really pisses me off. And the problem there is if you can time it right, you're getting between the traffic. And when people are going on their 60, 70 kilometres an hour, it, it just then I've got to brake and then the car behind me has to brake and then that means more cars on the freeway have to hit the anchors to let you in and bang, you've got your bottleneck. But the driver behaviour and the road rage is unbelievable. Where I work, there's a, the way the road is there, there's a road that veers off to go to the M1. A lot of cars in the middle lane get onto the left lane at the last minute and people aren't appreciative of that. I reckon once every half an hour or 20 minutes I hear the horns go. And when I hear the horn, I know the reason why, because someone's trying to cut across to get in. People are impatient these days. People are in a rush. Remember, if you think time goes quick, sit on the lounge chair on a Sunday and look at the wall for 12 hours. And I will guarantee you it'll be the slowest day of your life. People need to chill out and settle down, not rush, rush, rush. People are looking into the future too much. They're thinking about next year and the year after. You are wasting your life. The next thing you'll be holding onto a walking stick into a bloody nursing home. Everyone, just chill out and settle down. Okay, I got a text message from Optus oh, last week saying that my mobile phone contract is up. God, doesn't two years go quick? We we're just talking about how quick time goes and just in that last segment. And uh, yeah, it's been two years since I got my Samsung Galaxy S9 Plus. I'm due. My contract runs out, I think, in September. And, uh, well, what do you do? You get another phone, obviously, an updated version. I've been with Samsung for a many number of years now. For the last, I think, seven or eight years I've been Samsung. Before that, I had my first smartphone was an iPhone 3. I think I got that in 2008 or nine or something. Then I got the iPhone 4, and then I went from that to Samsung. And I've had Samsung ever since. Now, as you all probably know, um, the inbuilt camera in these smartphones are improving, improving over the years, and they really push to market the camera functions of a smartphone these days, even to people that are not into photography. It's, I've got a bit of a hard decision, and I'll keep you updated in the next few months on what I've decided, what phone I decide to get, and I will do a full review on the camera and my thoughts for anyone that is thinking about getting a newer phone in the next few months or into the new year. Um, the three phones that I'm looking at is the Huawei P30. Now, the reason why I say P30, because the newer P40 that's out doesn't support Google Play. So you can't get Google services on them like Maps and so forth. So no doubt they have their own Maps, but I prefer Google Maps because all my information that I've stored on there on places I've visited and, and I've bookmarked several locations where I want to visit for photography and that, um, that's why I want to keep Google Maps. So the Huawei P30, I think that's how you say, say, say is it Huawei? It's H-U-W-E-I or something. Anyway, 
um, P30 still supports Google, whereas the P40 doesn't. Um, obviously, the Samsung S20 is Samsung's latest flagship smartphone, and you've got the Oppo. You've got the various Oppo um, phones that are out. Now, my friend Rachel from Brisbane, I think, has got an Oppo. I'm going to hit her up and just see what her thoughts on the phone are. I think she was going to do some phone photography with it or camera photography with that Oppo in Brisbane recently. Um, it'll be interesting to see what results she got out of that. So I will keep you updated on what where I decide to go and what phone I do get. I will do a full review on it and I'll, I might even just dedicate the whole podcast to the phone review. It is convenient to have a phone camera these days. People that aren't really serious into photography, um, the camera in the latest smartphones are pretty good, especially in good light. Low light, night time, you know, nothing will beat an SLR. But during daylight, sunrise and sunset, these cameras can still produce stunning images. And with Lightroom Mobile that you can get as an app or, or just using Snapseed if you don't want to shoot raw, you've got everything on your phone. You can edit and then you can post on the go. You don't have to wait till you get home and then edit the photo and then and so forth. Unless you're a patient person and you don't really need to post a sunset photo the day you took it whereas I prefer to try and post what I take on the day. So, yes, it's going to be very interesting. And uh, having Lightroom Mobile and Snapseed on your phone, and you've just got a camera phone, it is very, very convenient. And you're not lugging camera gear around. You've just got the phone on you, and it's just very simplified process. And I think that's the way people want to go these days. One thing that I am concerned about is price. Now... These days, now they're pushing for three-year contracts. Generally, the standard contract on a phone has been 24 months. And in the old days, it was only 12 months. And that's just because the phones were a lot cheaper then. You didn't need to go on a 24-month contract. My first smartphone, or my first Samsung smartphone, I think it was the S4 or S5, I think it was only $500 outright. Most smartphones these days are well into the thousands, $1,500 and up to $2,000 for their flagship model. It is a lot of money. That's why the telcos are pushing for three-year contracts to try and offset the cost and not have it, uh, your monthly uh, bill as high. Unfortunately, though, I've been on a $70 to $80 plan for the last three or four years on the last couple of contracts I've had. Going by the looks of things, when I looked at the Optus website, it looks like that I'll be paying well over $100 if I want the latest Samsung S20 with the unlimited calls and, and uh, lots of data and so forth. I'm sort of wondering to myself, shall I just pay the phone outright and go on a SIM-only plan where the SIM-only plan would be probably $40 or $50 a month where you get unlimited everything and... Uh, probably 40 or 50 gig of data, which I don't need that much because I use mostly my data at home on the Wi-Fi internet. So keep your eye out from future podcasts on uh, what I decide to get. But uh, what do you do? Do you buy the phone outright and pay $1,500 and then go on a SIM-only plan, which I think SIM-only plans are only 12 months, if I'm not mistaken? Or do you have that $1,500 kept in your wallet and pay it off over a two or three years? That's just something I've got to think about and do a research on, but I will get back to you guys on that once I decide what to do.
Well, I'm going to wrap up this podcast now. Thanks very much for listening. Now, just before I go, one thing I'll have to mention, I finally met a photographer who I've admired for many years. His name's Peter Jolly Wilson. He's a surf photographer and he's been taking photos of surfers and, and events uh, for well over 30 years, even 35 years. And uh, I was listening to a podcast uh, that he got interviewed by someone else the other day and uh, I was just impressed with what he has achieved over that time. And uh, I actually saw him at Snapper Rocks and I went up to him and said hello to him and his wife very humbled person and his knowledge of waves and surf and and surf photography is second to none. I'm so glad that I met him. Thanks, Peter, for the chat. We chatted for about half an hour. I have seen him previous times down at Snapper Rocks during surf events and that, but he's obviously very busy at the time and uh, I don't like to disturb people that are taking photos and he had other people talking around him. So I have actually seen him many times before. But I finally had that opportunity to go up and say hello to him and I wouldn't mind actually interviewing him in a podcast sometime down the track. I'm still looking at getting a second microphone first. Once I do that, then I'm going to consider if people are keen on getting interviewed in future podcasts. You just come over to my house and we do a recording session, have a coffee or a tea or whatever you like and go from there. So that's one thing I'm going to try and push for towards the end of the year and into 2021. So it was really great to meet Peter and uh, it's a bit sort of a feel for him this year. He hasn't had much work on because the surfing events have been cancelled this year. So he's been at home and he told me yesterday that this is the most he has spent time on the Gold Coast in his whole career due to COVID-19 and not being able to travel the world to take photos of the surf in different areas. So, uh, But he's still getting out and about and taking photos and doing what he loves. So hopefully I'd love to get him on my show one day and do a full interview with him. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, I will try and do these podcasts every two to three weeks now, especially with COVID-19 and what's and, and the ever-changing news on what's happening there. So we'll see how we go with that one. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the net next podcast, and it's bye for now.